The center of healing trauma and attachment is focused on doing just that, healing trauma and attachment. Doreen specializes in it because it's her passion. This episode, we're going to get into the basics of trauma. Not everyone understands it, especially if we ourselves have not experienced extreme trauma or been exposed to trauma. A lot of people can experience trauma and do not know how to process it. We're also going to discuss this attachment piece. What does it mean when we say we're going to heal trauma and attachment? What kind of attachment is there? This episode, we're going to dive in. This is Season to Overcome Trauma and Attachment. This is the Season to Heal podcast hosted by Morgan Cobb and Doreen Hills from the Center of Healing Trauma and Attachment. There's a season to hurt. There's a season to cry. There's a season to feel, then a season of joy. This podcast is built on the foundation of this season, a season to heal. We are here to dive in together. All right, so let's dive into these basics of trauma and attachment. So Doreen, what is trauma? So trauma is an overwhelming capacity to cope. And this is something beyond what anybody as a human being can comprehend. There's so many definitions of trauma, but those are that's actually the two biggest thing for me. And it's also the exposure, witnessing and experiencing of something horrific that is beyond somebody's pale of imagination. Wow. And you deal with cases like that a Very lot at much. the trauma center. Right? Very much so. So we deal with a lot of um, cases uh, that uh, experience really difficult life situations from death, um, experiencing somebody that uh, witnessed death, witness abuse, violence, assault. So these folks really experienced um, going into those deep, dark, and safe places. Right. So what are the symptoms of trauma? So there's a lot, but I think I will focus on two big things that in my practice I've experienced. There's two things, and they're both in the, it's called hyper, hyper and hypo. Hypervigilance, which may look like an anxiety, but it's, you know, not completely an anxiety. And what that means is you can actually see the hypervigilance through the breath. And it is, you know, they have a hard time breathing and it can be, it can be something like they, you know, it's either shallow or very fast. Um, and on the hypo side, which may look like, for some people, it may look like depression. But it's actually this person, you know, the person that experienced hypo, what it looks like is what we call in therapy dissociation or checking out. They feel like they're out of that, they have that feeling of an out-of-body moment to where it's too much, you know, too much too much happening in them that, you know, they feel that they have to pull themselves out of their body, not necessarily intentional, but that's what their body's doing to keep them back and, you know, to keep them safe. And the hypo may even look like sluggish. 
okay. you know, that they're not wanting to move, that there's, you know, an, a motivation, there's no interest. Um, and it's also can be seen in the breath. And some people might say, you know, I'm not breathing or, you know, my breath is very shallow. So those are the two keys that, two things, there's so many symptoms of, um, of trauma. But the biggest thing for me that I'm seeing in my practice is the hyperarousal and the hypoarousal. Um, the other things that really stuck in my mind right now are the people that experience trauma, they either tend to move into too trusting or not trusting at all. And if we look at it in the bounder, in this, you know, the context of boundary, their boundary is either porous or very, you know, very loose. They don't have boundary. They, you know, people take advantage of them or they become so rigid. So sometimes they have a hard time trying to find out what is in between. The other things that I wanted to point out here is they may be overly independent, overly independent. That can be a trauma symptom or extremely dependent. Right, and so you deal with a lot of young people too who have gone through trauma, so they might, for a young child to be independent, you can definitely, you've seen that before, right? Right, um, so with children, when you said something about that over-independence, um, these are the children that were exposed to you know, over glorification of the adults, like, okay, at two years old, they're already making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Why? It's probably because they're hungry and nobody can take care of them. Is that age appropriate? Not really. And that is an over-independence. That's too much independence at a very, very young age. So, and then some of them can be extremely dependent because, again, there's that pull of if I do not, you know, if, if I don't have that company or presence of others, then what is going to, you know, am I going to die without them? So there's really, you know, it's, it's two polarities there. It's mm -hmm. either very extreme on one end or extreme on the other. And we have to be very careful because our society is so focused on diagnosis and so we may see somebody, let's say, going back to hyper or hypoarousal, we make an easy judgment that they're ADHD, or we make an easy, you know, easy diagnosis that they're probably bipolar. Oftentimes we hear that. And that is something as com community, we need to be paying attention more on the story versus the, you know, the presentation. So other symptoms that I find in our in my practice uh, include self-harming behaviors. Uh, that includes people, teens, and even adults engage in, you know, cutting. Um, some of them may engage in sexual promiscuity, and some of them may engage in substance abuse, um, suicide ideation, suicidality, suicide urges. Those are the things that we. Uh, see in our practice with regard to symptoms of trauma. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. 
So how can someone then be empathetic to a person that has experienced trauma? So we don't have to be, we don't have to be um, exposed or we don't have to experience trauma to be empathetic, right? Right. We can be empathetic, you know, just being us. And two things I really wanted to point out here is we need to listen to the story of the of the person without judgment but rather with kindness and compassion i think that is the biggest thing that we we as a society we as, as a community need to need to start being more mindful and being more intentional kindness and compassion we trauma trauma this is one this is one thing that trauma robbed from us being seen and being heard and when people can tell you their story or just your presence make them feel calm, you are already practicing empathy. The other thing that I wanted to point out to the listeners um, is learn about trauma. You know, we don't need to get pushed or forced to learn it. You can do this yourself. Do your own research. And if you... If you see someone or your loved one that experienced trauma, learn about it. And that is one way, too, of being empathetic Mm -hmm. to somebody. Again, biggest thing here is knowing their story without judgment, but rather kindness and compassion, and also learning about it. Educate yourself about it. Right, that goes back into seeing someone who's presenting something and making a quick judgment about them or why they're acting a certain way without really knowing that it's an iceberg. There's, there's that surface behavior, but if you love someone or even just get to understand and be compassion, you can tell that there's a lot more underneath and that's that. Very much. And I think we, we need to shift the way we look at things. You know, we are so easy to judge we are so easy to judge. We, we judge, let's say, a mom that did not show up for the appointment and saying that she's lazy. And But wait a minute, what is going on in her system? What are her obligations? What are her duties? Maybe there's so much stuff going on, her plate is full. We don't know this until we ask someone. And I think one of the, one of the important pillar, one of the many important pillars of... Um, trauma-informed care or trauma-sensitive is asking ourselves, you know, find out the story, know what happened versus asking or versus telling them what is wrong with you. So pretty big stuff, what happened versus what's wrong with you. So hopefully this is, you know, this is a very important, you know, thing for our listeners to consider. Right. Just even that slight wording can take exactly. the, the point of blame. Yes. Um, so take us kind of through your basics of what you do to heal trauma. So trauma treatment is not a cookie cutter approach. It's actually more of a weaving, you know, what is uh, weaving one approach, one process with another. But I will tell you, you know, the, how, I, how I really work with traumatized clients. First, the biggest thing is uh, making, sure, making sure you build safety and security in the relationship. 
biggest thing. That's the number one before you can move to the other process. The second one, again, everything is weaved. It's timing and pacing. With safety and security building, we need to understand the, sto the story. We need to hear the story from them. And this may take months before you even go get into that. It's kind of like what you said. It's not, it's an, you're, you're kind of like um, picking the iceberg. It's going to take some time. The third one that I, uh, and again, it's again weaving again, weaving the, the next element is teaching people skills, coping and calming and being productive people again, because they can do that. And those are, those, that's, those are the things that I believe, you know, need to happen before you go to the trauma processing which is the fourth one, you know, and again, it's not cookie cutter. I'm just kind of like taking you to the step by step that, you know, what we do and again, weaving it again, moving to the processing. I believe that people need to process the trauma for them to heal. If they do not go to the abyss of it, like the darkness and we don't join them there and help them get out of that, we're not getting anywhere. So the counselor need to be with the client. Right, they, and, and on your website, if anyone visits www.chtainc.org, in the counseling section, Doreen, her quote, she says she will be with you as you dive into the abyss. So that's obviously a very important part of, of your counseling practice. Big time. It, it is. And we can stay in one step or one process right just building relationship but we're not helping people staying there relationship or the treatment just stays there client need to get out of that and i look at it as like the image of a bottle people has to go through the bottleneck to where they can come out of that abyss and through that then we're moving the, to the post-traumatic growth. And what that would look like is, what does it look like now when I am out of that trauma zone? Because there's gonna be elements of grief. They're not used to it. This is something like a life after trauma. So that's gonna be a different feeling that they can experience, maybe a different symptoms. So the clinician, the counselor need to be with them. And so, again, I, I wanted to emphasize here, making sure that the listeners know that this is not a cookie cutter approach. All of it has to be weaved even in one session. Those things that I share with you, those can happen in one session, all of them. And some of them, you know, it can just building relationship can only just be you know, that 60 minutes. So it, it really is, is what I said in the beginning, it is more of an art than of a science. So that's usually how I, you know, how trauma treatment runs with, you know, in my practice. Right. So um, I guess let's get to know trauma better. Are there multiple types of trauma? Yes, there are multiple types of trauma. And with that... We cannot just use, an, you know, again, a, we cannot use one specific approach in treating trauma just because, let's say, 
I'm working with a veteran that is experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm going to be using an approach with them that does not mean that approach is going to work with a person that experienced complex trauma. So there, there are different levels of trauma. There are, there are different um, trauma impacts. And I wanted to just share the, the types of trauma. Um, there's this thing called childhood trauma. And that is a trauma that, that is a trauma from abuse and neglect. There's also trauma from war, disasters, natural, you know, natural disasters, those kinds of stuff. There's also trauma um, in complex grief. And what I mean by that is when people experience someone who died from suicide or murder or homicide, that's complex trauma or what we call complex grief. There's also trauma from assault and violence, whether they're experienced, witnessed, or exposed. There's also this thing called generational trauma. And what that is, is a trauma that's get, that gets passed from one generation to another. And I remember reading the, um, a study by Rachel Yehuda, and she spoke about epigenetics. And she was, it's fascinating because she was saying that the, the people that experience the, the aftermath or, you know, the Holocaust, you know, they've experienced this traumatic incident and it kind of like stays in their body. And generations past, let's say they've carried this, they've carried this anxiety in them, the generation after them, and probably, you know, their, their children, their children, let's say seventh generation, they would feel something like that too, even though they're not exposed to what happened with their forefathers. So that's interesting. And that's study. a sort of like rewiring of the brain. Yes. And I think it, it is, it's changing again. That's, you know, the, the trauma, trauma changes, the train tra changes the brain. It changes the brain system. It changes the brain state. And so that generational trauma is very fascinating to me. So another example of that is when there's that shame that the family carry, then that is something that can get passed on to the next generation. So how do we, you know, how, how do we treat that? How do we, you know, how, how do we resolve that? Oftentimes with shame, you know, I'm kind of like just looking at shame that needs to be spoken. And it's not an easy process, but that's probably the first step. Wow. So. Um, so kind of moving on from our focus of trauma, I know it's called the Center of Healing Trauma and Attachment. So I think a lot of people don't always understand, even when I first heard it, that attachment piece. So can you explain to us what attachment is and some examples of that? Absolutely. So we included, we included attachment in the, you know, the center's name there, Center for Healing Trauma and Attachment, 
because there's this there's this thing called attachment trauma but what you know i guess first is what do we know what do we what is attachment first and it you know it may sound very simplistic to other you know to some people but this is a relational dance between a child and a caregiver and what that means is usually attachment really starts at a very very young age it actually starts in utero you know when the babe when that unborn is still in the mother's womb and there's already an attachment getting formed between the child between that you know between that child inside mama's belly and the mom you know when mom hold you know holds or feels her tummy right. there's that attachment going on between the two of them and oftentimes this attachment is not dependent on the child the attachment de- gets developed through the caregiver and what that means is when the ch- the caregiver provides the child with secure loving predictable life then the child attached to the caregiver as what Rhonda Leddington said in her book called um i think it's it's called um healing the you know it's something about cherubim i forgot and i can probably you know share that on our website um web- website what she was saying is bonding is unconditional and that's coming from the caregiver attachment is conditional if i provide if you provide me with all my needs my basic needs then i can attach to you then i can trust you and that's what is what is attachment cycle is about it's a cycle you know the caregiver provides the basic needs of the child then the child can attach to the to the caregiver you know the child then when when they attach there's a trust the child can trust the caregiver so that's what it is it's a relational it's a it's a reciprocal dance actually it's a reciprocal dance between the child and the caregiver but that depends on the caregiver not the child right so you deal with the kind of disruption of that then cycle of of attachment through the caregiver and the child um, needing something that they are missing. Right. And that is moving into, you know, there's two, there's two, we're, we're not, you know, we're giving it, giving it, giving it a name, not diagnosis, but attachment, there's, you're talking about the disruption. So there's secure attachment and there is this thing called insecure attachment. So all of us as human beings, we are desiring secure attachment, right? You know, even the caregiver. However, there's this thing called insecure attachment. So let's start first with what is secure attachment? Secure attachment is when the caregiver, again, going back to the cycle, I have my needs, I need to get fed, or I need, I need this, and here's this caregiver that, okay, I can provide this for you. So there's that sense of gratification, then I can trust you. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, need, met, then trust. So that's what it is, that's that's secure attachment. And that actually helps the child build that better brain. 
you know, then the child would feel I am secure, I can be calm, I can be okay. Now there's this thing called insecure attachment and I'm going to point out three things here, not to diagnose again, but just giving, giving us names and language. First is there's this thing called um, an avoidant attachment. And what this looks like is a caregiver that has a very difficult time expressing or even giving emotions to the child. When the child is needing something, the, the caregiver cannot do that. Or let's say the, the caregiver cannot tolerate the emotions or let's say the crying. And this is what we call in our training before it will look like this child becomes so overly independent that they do not rely on the caregiver because the caregiver cannot provide that emotional nurturing. So that's one that is what we call avoidant attachment. The second one is the ambivalent attachment, or we also call anxious attachment. And what that looks like is a caregiver that um, has a difficult time providing predictability. The life around the child is very chaotic. There's no consistency, there's no routine, they probably move from one place to another, or maybe they, um, you know, there's a lot of people involved in the system and the child does not know who they can, you know, who, can, who they can lean on because the caregiver is not available there or the caregiver is very, you know, very traumatized as well. So the child system is very chaotic. Um, and so the, the it's either the child becomes the parent to the to the caregiver, or the caregiver um, put the child in a situation to where they have to be the one taking care of the caregiver. So again, it's kind of like that parentified child. Mm. Um, and the third one, which um, you know, and they're not like one is better than the other. These are all you know insecure attachment. Um, the third one that I've learned is this thing called disorganized attachment. And this is when the child or this is when the caregiver is actually a danger to the child. And that can be in the form of this, the caregiver may, may have some mental illness going on or the caregiver is the one causing inflicting pain to the child such as let's say sexual abuse sexual assault or physical abuse so the insecure attachment we know that secure attachment is need meeting the basic needs of the child consistently predictable and predictable insecure attachment is again the child will try you know will have those needs but the caregiver cannot provide that need and so the child will probably scream and yell or uh, act out, but they still don't get that need, need needs met. And so there's no trust. Right. They cannot trust the caregiving system. So it's either, you know, the child, two things that happen. One is the child will just kind of like give up, frozen, 
or they become overly independent. So you and talking about this, it's a lot of the relationship between that caregiver and the child or person who's being taken care of. You might deal too with um, people who have gone through that as children and then grown up and it hasn't necessarily been addressed. What does that look like? So if the child never addressed this and there's no resolution and what we call in my in my world I call relation you know relational or attachment wound if that relationship has never been resolved it will bleed through when they grow up and what would that look like right uh, two things I wanted to point out it will be seeing the way they trust others you know, do they trust too much or are they pretty close, you know? And <clears throat> and it goes to boundaries. Again, it's, you know, one, it's, it's one and, and the other and there's no middle. Oftentimes what we see is either porous boundary, which is all out, you know, there's no, they don't have edges, you know, they just, they're just the type of, you know, they're just the type of folks that, deal with reactivity with impulsivity and it feels like out of control and the other side would be so rigid like you know they they're so particular on those always in control always in control always and you know it may not be always but they're always on the well always on the lookout and again there's the hyper vigilance always on the lookout are they going to be going you know coming after me Right. And so it is so important to to be aware of the attachment styles because if it's if it continues the child never gets the or never gets those secure attachment at one point in their life it will bleed through later on in their relationship with other people. Wow. It's heavy. It is heavy. <laughs> a lot it of really is. a lot of heavy. All right, so I guess that brings us to our next piece, which is how can someone start to overcome attachment? It's not easy. Cuz again, as what we we talk about attachment wound originates at a young age. So my not advice but my thoughts on that is for children, what they need and what they deserve is consistent, predictable, routine type of relationship with caregivers. And what that would look like is as long as the caregivers, and it, we can go into complexities of that because you know each child will, you know, the timeline of each child will change, let's say that toddlers needs were going to be different with um, children in elementary age or adolescent and older teens but once the child it doesn't matter how old they are if their caregiver provides consistency predictability in the relationship then that attachment wound that they've experienced will be able to heal it's going to take some time now it's going to make take more time 
when we're talking, when we work with adults that have these attachment wounds. It's going to take years. So again, it's going back to that trauma of being seen and being heard and being, you know, being um, able to get my needs met. So uh, for me, and some clinicians may disagree on this, but even adults that experience trauma, attachment trauma, need consistency and predictability in their relationship with other people. And so what that would look like is if they are with a partner and that partner, you know, that partner can let them know and just that patience and I will be with you no matter what, I will take care of you. And at the same time, the partner, the husband or the wife, whoever they're, you know, the, the one that they're involved with also needs support. And so when we're working with attachment wound, we need to work with the whole system. Um, and it can be overcome, but it's going to take some time. If, here's the thing, if anybody, you know, if anybody in the, for, you know, the, lis the listeners can, can really give me an idea of how to overcome this in, you know, in short time of, you know, short time, let me know, you know, connect with me. But in my experience, attachment wound takes some time right. and it can happen really in the, you know, in the therapeutic space. It can start there too. Right, so that gets into my next question of how our center, Kata, helps people um, that have experienced those types of attachment issues. Sure, and I'm also going to cover not only the attachment issue, but also, you know, the different types of trauma, perhaps PTSD and traumas from complex grief, loss, and natural disasters. So three things that we are holding you know, dear in our hearts and in our minds, I call it the three pillars of kata. First is relational. We are, we focus a lot on the relational piece. And again, it goes back to people deserve to be heard and to be seen. And we need to use relationship as a way to provide safety and security. That's the engine. The second one is the brain science. We all know that trauma changes the brain system. It may start in a not so good way, but we all know now a lot of research, a lot of tools, a lot of skills are geared towards how to help the brain heal. And so we believe that when we know the why of the brain, we understand the function of the brain, we know what part of the brain carries the fight and flight, what part of the brain carries the relational peace, the emotions, the, um, the heart, and what if we know, the, and also if we know what part of the brain carries the rational, the logical peace, then we will know, we will be able to help people how to, how to navigate healing, how to know, understand the tools, and use the tools. And the third one, which you already shared, we're not afraid. We're not afraid to join our clients, go to that abyss, and help them get out of that abyss as well. 
I think it's it's a bold statement from me, but I do believe that people need to get past that trauma, that bottleneck there for them to heal. And Kata knows how to, well, not, you know, Kata knows how to navigate that with her clients and I am not afraid. I am not afraid to, to join them and help them get out of there. Wow. So we've covered a lot of topics today going over that trauma and attachment. And even in this feeling I have now, I know not everyone is in Northeast Colorado and has this center, but I do want to urge people who are having these feelings to seek counseling because it does help people. So, all right, that's it from us. Thank you, Doreen. Thank you. All right. Please find our website at www.chtainc.org, our Instagram at chta.inc, Facebook and LinkedIn under Center for Healing Trauma and Attachment. Please call us at 970-397-4609 or email at doreen underscore hills at yahoo.com if you have any questions. Thank you for listening and please donate, subscribe, or share so we can continue helping those in need heal.